Greetings, and welcome to Etzheim's weekly podcast, recorded live in Richardson, Texas. We invite you now to join us for one of our synagogue's Shabbat messages. Days for the adults years both refer to a harvest. The Shavuot gives you specific harvest things on don't harvest the corners. Yavel talks about you're not going to harvest at all until you're just ready to eat it in the moment. But otherwise, it's there's a consideration there for the poor. We also have the land. For Shavuot, when you go up to Jerusalem, don't worry, no one's going to take your land. For Yavel, it's the return of land. And then remember, you were slaves for Shavuot, and the Yavel is freedom for slaves. And then there's one missing. The shofar. The shofar is absent. And that is what kicks off the Yavel. And if you remember, what sounded at Sinai? It was this thundering from heaven. Why is the shofar not there? And when something obvious is just missing, it's absent. That should be a cue to take a closer look. When something that to the rest of us should be there is just kind of gone. We have to ask, well, what's up? And artists will use something you call negative space to paint a picture. You'll see it in ink blots. Is it two people kissing or is it a vase? You decide. And you'll see this different, these different images and different methods used in different ways. So let's talk about negative space for a minute. I don't have a slide for this. So we're going to pause on Shavuot for a moment. Now I want to demonstrate how, how God will do this sometimes. And when you start to peel those layers away, it uncovers things in a whole new way. Let's talk about the prophet Jonah. Everyone knows the story. We all have the kid's story. At the end, in Jonah 4.2, he prayed to the Lord and said, Please, O Lord, was this not my contention while I was still on my land? For this reason, I had hastened to flee to Tarshish. And then he cites Moses almost exactly. And it's something most of you, if not all of you, have heard at High Holy Days before we take the Torah out. Adonai, Adonai, Arachum, Vachan. You're all familiar with it. For he says, for I know, Jonah speaking, you are a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger, with much kindness, and is not remember the next thing in Moses' attributes of God? Anyone? You can just call it out. It's fine. When Moses said it in Exodus 33, verse 6, the Lord passed before him and Moses proclaimed, Lord, Lord, benevolent God, who is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abundant in loving kindness and truth. But what does Jonah say? Slow to anger, abundant in kindness and relenting of evil. And if you want to do a surface-level thing, you could say, well, God was going to destroy Nineveh, but then he decided not to, so, ah, that's why. Except who was Jonah? In Jonah chapter 1, verse 1, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai. Jonah, the son of truth, when talking about God's attributes, he left out truth. The son of truth left out truth and just said, no, relenting from evil. Why? And when you realize why, you will read Jonah completely differently. It's more of a Yom Kippur topic, actually. That's a use of something that should be there when you quote something precisely and then you just stop. 
or you put something else in. It's not a mistake. It's on purpose and it's intentional. Jonah left out truth there for a reason. So when something is just oddly absent, we have to say, well, what's up? Why isn't that there? It should be, and it's kind of bothering me now. When most of us think about Shavuot, the first thing that comes to a lot of people's mind is Pentecost. From uh, Pentecost, in Greek, count, or just 50 is what it means. And we think about the Acts 2 events. That's what most of us think of. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. I think all Israel around Sinai, perhaps. But in this case, it was all the believers in Jerusalem at the temple. And suddenly a noise like a violent rushing wind came from heaven. And it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And tongues that looked like fire appeared to them, distributing themselves. And a tongue rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with different tongues as the Spirit was giving them the ability to speak out. Now, they go outside and everyone thinks that, oh, these guys must be drunk or something. And they say no. And then Peter gives a very stirring sermon, stirs everyone's hearts, proclaims Yeshua, takes them on a journey through the prophets, lets them know what had just happened. And for context... Peter was someone who roughly 50 days prior had denied Yeshua. People can change fast. It's an interesting thing when you look at the context. Verse 37. Now when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what are we to do? Peter said to them, Repent. And each of you be baptized in the name of Yeshua Messiah for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Repent. That word, teshuvah, comes from the root meaning, essentially, return. And what happens at Yovel? Slaves return. Property is returned. And that's the key here. It's repentance. They didn't look at him and say, well, well, we have this from, from Sinai and we're, we're good to go. We don't need anything else. No, this is a story that God is continuing. From every generation, Lador Vador, he continues it. So what elements do we have from Acts chapter 2? We have a loud sound from heaven. We have tongues of fire. We have multiple languages. We have God's spirit. And we have repentance to Shuva. And a reason this is so commonly missed, a reason this is so commonly missed is the translation gets a little wacky. Uh, and that it can even be thought of, if you're familiar, if you're looking at the Hebrew and you look at the English in Exodus 20, verse 18, Shemot 2018, you'll, you'll think that someone uh, just straight up mistranslated it. It reads, And all the people were watching and hearing the thunder and the lightning flashes and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking. When the people saw it all, they trembled and stood at a distance. And this is immediately after the Ten Commandments. Take a look at that in the Hebrew. Now, 
when I, when I sent the slides out, David thought I made a typo. Because if I typed it out, I would have. And it's because there is a typo there. Uh, it does not say, and hearing. They didn't hear, they saw. It says, the proper translation, and that people saw the voices and the torches, the sound of the shofar. They saw sounds. That's why that was terrifying. Forget the mountain exploding in front of you and everything else happening. Seeing sounds is not normal without substance assistance. Under normal circumstances, that should never happen for reference. That they saw sounds is a first clue that something's up. And that's why the translators, to try to make it more digestible, added uh, and heard. Like, yeah, sure, they were seeing the lightning, but they obviously would have heard God because, because seeing sounds doesn't make sense. Right? You don't, you don't taste sounds. And then some of the traditions make sense. You can imagine the apostles, the believers sitting in that room in Jerusalem. And they were all Jews. They knew the stories that had been handed down about Sinai. And the rabbis assert a number of things there. That when God spoke, he spoke in every language at once. At Sinai, God spoke in every language at once. That's part of the story that the rabbis and sages had handed down. That God's word was perceived as sparks as he spoke, went around the entire congregation of Israel, and then came to each Jew individually. That God's word was being visually perceived in sound waves, coming down on them as he spoke. When they saw this happening in Jerusalem, they would have known this is another Sinai-level event. They would have connected the imagery immediately. The crossovers we have here, the languages, God's voice and sparks versus the tongues of fire and the sound from heaven. The connections there are obvious. And that this was happening at Shavuot connects the imagery directly. So what is the best evidence, so to speak, that Shavuot is the commemorating of God giving the Torah at Sinai? And the Holy Spirit coming down in Jerusalem. Acts 2 is the best. They knew the stories of their people. So why a wedding? There's a lot of other ways people connect. I have some fantastic friendships. And a wedding only defines one of them. So why a wedding? Unlike my other friends, I have not become one. Uh, I've become one with my wife, unlike my other friendships. And God says he will become one with us in Ezekiel 36. And I will put my spirit within you and bring it about that you will walk in my statutes and you will keep my ordinances and do them. Then you will dwell in the land that I gave your fathers and you will be a people to me. And I will be to you as a God. 
one of the markings of receiving the Holy Spirit is obedience. It's not that we all of a sudden become perfect, because that, I assure you, does not happen. They all receive the Holy Spirit in Acts, and, and we have examples of people making mistakes and having disagreements later. So clearly, it does not mean you just immediately become perfect. But a wedding is when two become one. And remember Messiah's prayer, that we would be one with the Father as Messiah is one with the Father. It's a joining. Shavuot in Acts 2 continues what God did at Sinai, and it builds on what God did at Sinai. It's a continuation of, just like Messiah's sacrifice continues the story of freedom from the original Exodus, from the original Passover. It's both. And Shavuot is a call to rejoice, to cherish God's word and his spirit. I remember 16 years ago, we were doing a Shavuot service um, at a time. And I remember the Chazan that trained me standing up during worship as they were, he's holding the Torah actually. And he said, I want to quote him exactly. Worship without obedience is blasphemy. And that really, that really pierced me. If we worship him, well, we ignore everything our husband and maker tell us to do. It is blasphemy. We celebrate, we rejoice as commanded his spirit and his word. Shavuot is repeatedly a shadow of things still to come, as the Apostle Paul says, that all of this is still a shadow of what is to come, because we know the ultimate wedding is is still coming. So what are some lessons from this? That, That God comes down, that he wants a deep relationship with us. And it's very hard to find examples of relationships deeper than marriage. It's very, very hard to get deeper than that, that he imparts a piece of himself into us, that he says, if it's too difficult, I will be with you in a very literal sense. God wants us, his bride, to prepare. Because what is the goal? In Revelation 19, we know what our end objective here is. Let's rejoice and be glad and give glory to him because the marriage of the lamb has come. And his bride has prepared herself. It was given to her to clothe herself in fine linen, bright and clean. For the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. If you're ever unsure on something to do, the whole what would Yeshua do thing, and that's wildly abused. Read God's word. You're not going to go wrong there. You can misuse and abuse it. And that is where discipleship is very important. We have to be sure that we have our eyes focused on this. That is where we're going. That is the point. That the bride, us, we are preparing ourselves. 
We have seen images of it at Sinai when God gave our forefathers the Torah. We see images of it in Jerusalem when God gave others the Holy Spirit. Our end objective is this. And it's easy to lose sight of that with life. Messiah warns us. The apostles warn us. Keep your wicks trimmed. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. The days are evil. They are. God calls us to live with a sense of discipline. And we can forget that. He didn't take us out of slavery in Egypt to then enslave us to Torah. That doesn't make sense. That's ridiculous. Embedded in the Torah is a sense of discipline. He gave us the Torah as a way to draw close to us as a marriage contract. And anyone successful knows that discipline equals freedom. I have met very few successful people who lacked discipline. I was going to try to use a screenshot from my wedding, but the uh, the whatever that was being recorded on so many years ago, the quality was pretty low, and that would have never worked. But I remember I remember two comments when I was uh, we were standing just outside the hoopah, and at the this is at the uh, old old EC building. I'm standing in my tuxedo, and Diane is circling me. Where were her eyes? Were they scanning the crowd? Were they looking at the rabbi and the chazan? At her parents? No. She was sizing me up. I remember one of her friends telling her later, oh, so you do know how to flirt. When the bride circles her groom, her eyes are on the groom. Where is your focus? Where is our focus? Is it on Messiah? Is it on the word of God? Or are we focusing on other things? And I'm not knocking having hobbies. I'm not knocking having other pursuits. Is that your focus? Is that where your thoughts go? Is that where the majority of your time even goes? And think about the things you need to stop. Do you read scripture every day? Do you pray every day? If not, well... Tell me what you do instead, and I'll tell you what your idols are. And that sounds harsh. That's a conversation I had with uh, with Diane about a year ago. What are we prioritizing over this? Because these things aren't happening like they need to do. And this is where we're going. We have a final destination. We know where it is. We know where we are going to end up. The question is, are we going to put the work in to get there? What sinful habits do we have that we need to break that get in the way of this. Of the bride clothing herself in fine linen. The righteous acts of the saints. What is stopping us? What relationships do we have that are unhealthy? Or lack boundaries? Or are sinful? What habits do we have that if you shared it with a couple of the men in the shul, they would say, what are you doing? And if you think I'm being judgmental, This is a tough conversation I've had with myself first. So before I can condemn anyone else, I would condemn myself. Our eyes have to stay on the goal. Just as a bride circling her groom on the wedding day, her eyes are on the groom. 
Our eyes have to be on Messiah. If we take them off of him and look at the disastrous things around us, which will always abound, there is no shortage of it. Many of us have friends in Israel who are under constant rocket attack right now. If your eyes aren't on Messiah, you will be swept away with the things of the world. Keep your priorities straight. Remember where we're ending up. That the goal isn't anything other than that. So what are some practical things? It's easy to to speak at at a high level where things kind of stay vague where I can use vague vague illusions and imagery and speak in generalities. And that's kind of, in a way, it's the lazy thing to do because it leaves it up to interpretation. So what are some specific things? Well, I already said, if you're not reading Scripture every day and you're not praying every day, fix it. We all have the same 168 hours in a week. Use them better. Write yourself out a, a schedule if you need to, but write one out and follow it. And make it the ideal one you want. Don't let those things slide. Those are priority one. If you're married, read scripture with your spouse and pray with your spouse. It took me longer than it ever should have to get those things straight in my marriage. And my only regret is that we didn't start sooner. If you are not in some kind of discipleship thing with someone, fix that. Everyone needs to have someone pouring into their life someone you can walk with, and someone you're able to contribute to. All of us, including me, especially me. Just ask my wife. Get your priorities straight. Have the honest conversation. Have accountability. Because these little things in the world can stop us. They can stop us short of getting to the hoopah. They can stop us short of being where it is that we want to be, where we need to be, and that is in the marriage with God. Would the worship team please come up? If you'd please pray with me. Uh, please stand. Adon Olam, master of the universe, Lord God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, God of Moses, God of Israel, Lord, there is none like you. Lord, you paint the most beautiful pictures. You tell the most beautiful stories that are all true. You guide us with love and with kindness because your kindness endures forever. Lord, I ask that as we commemorate Shavuot today and as the festival rapidly approaches and the counting of the Omer is coming to a conclusion, that you would guide each one of us, that you would speak to each one of us, whether it's through our brothers and our sisters, whether it's through our spouses, whether it's through our friends, whether it's you speaking into our heart, the things that are not of you, the things that we prioritize over you, show us what we need to cleanse ourselves from. Lord, each and every one of us desires 
to be called among your people, to be your bride. Lord, I ask you would guide us. We cannot do this alone, and you never told us we would have to. That you give us your spirit. Lord, I ask that you would place your spirit within us as your word says, and your word does not return to you void because your word is powerful. That you will speak into our hearts, that you will speak into our minds. Lord, where we make mistakes, I ask that you would forgive us. Where we wrong each other, I ask that you would lead to that relationship being repaired. Lord, I ask that we would repair relationships with each other as you repair your relationship with us. And that as you impart your spirit upon us, we would walk after Messiah with hearts that love you and that are full of your spirit, full of your word, that we would walk as Messiah walked. Lord, we thank you for this day. I thank you for each and every person here. I ask that you would bless all of our hearts and all of our minds with your spirit. And that the story that you have told now for millennia of your marriage to Israel will continue in our hearts and in our minds. Amen.